Welcome to the Stephen and Arjun's Football Podcast, where they discuss anything football, everything football. This podcast is brought to you by Starshot Bakery and Misuboy SG. Craving for party treats like cakes and cookies in Subang Jaya? Visit starshot.bakery on Instagram. Or would you like tiramisu in Singapore? Visit misuboy.sg on Instagram as well. Good day listeners and welcome to another episode of the Steven Adil Football Podcast. Today is a blockbuster one because after two amazing semi-final match, we have our we finally have our Euro 2020 finalists, Italy against England this weekend. And today we're gonna to talk about the semi-final review of the two amazing matches that we have witnessed for the past two days. And also look forward to the final uh, that's going to be held in Wembley this weekend. And joining me today is Again, my co-host Arjun. Arjun, welcome back. Thanks, Stephen. Good to be back. I think it's the most exciting episode so far in, the, in our Euro series. Yes, and why is it so exciting? Is because we have two of our uh, guests joining us in this episode together. Uh, first off is our international football expert, uh, Cedric. Cedric, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Stephen. Although I'm not really an expert. <laughs> <laughs> To be honest, you are. <laughs> okay. And the other guest we have today is also um, an international fan, France fan, Uday. Uday, welcome back. Hi, yes. Thank you for having me back. How are you today, Stephen? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to discuss about you know, the two matches and also uh, look ahead to the final. And as well as maybe touch on a little bit on the Copa America final this, this Saturday as well. Argentina against Brazil. This is a big one. Huge. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think let us, let us uh, just get the discussion started um, with Spain against Italy. This was the first semi-final that was held in Wembley. And it went all the way to extra time and penalties. Probably the, 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 the you know, the, the fact that they had to uh, went through two consecutive penalty shootouts, probably took his toll on Spain. But across the match stats, they did have much more shot and more shot on target. Uday, do you feel that the better team lost this game? Um, I'm going to start uh, with a tweet first before I answer your question. Um, the tweet I saw was that was from Mary Glazer out, where she said that Spain is a lot of foreplay and no penetration. And that was basically what happened throughout the whole game where Spain dominated everything and they couldn't find the finishing touch and that is why they deserve to lose the game. So I hope I answered your question. And besides that, Spain's midfield was really well. I thought that Pedri, Busquets and Coquet played a really solid pivot for Spain. However, the people up top were lacking the efficiency to score the goals. Therefore, Spain didn't play as well for them to win the match. Whereas, on the other hand, Italy played fantastic. They decided to play a bit defensive this time, in which the goal they scored also was against the run of play, in which Donnarumma rolled the ball out as if he was playing a curling match. If any of you have watched the curling match before, and he rolled the ball, he started chasing the ball as well. And there was really quick passes in such a way that it reached Chiesa, who 
perfectly placed the ball into the corner of the goal, in which no other place would have scored. Any other place would have been saved by the goalkeeper. So that is why I think Spain deserved to lose. What are your thoughts, Steven? Um, I feel, I, I agree with you, the fact that the midfield is uh, solid, but it's, it's where the, the, the front line is where they, they kind of let the team down because uh, I saw Oya, Oya Zabal also missed a few chances, a couple of chances, which quite quite a big one, right, early in the match. Um, Arjun, do you think that starting Danny Omo was a mistake because given the fact that uh, Morata had just got an equalizer for Spain? So, um, as what Uday mentioned, Spain all for play and no penetration. I completely agree, but I do not think starting Daniel Omo was a mistake because he was the brightest spark uh, for Spain until Morata came on and arguably even after that, he was the one uh, creating the chances for Spain. It's just that, yes, they didn't have a striker to finish them off. Uh, and if you see stats-wise as well, that tells the whole story. Spain had 16 shots to Italy's 7, but only 5 on target to Italy's 4. And Spain dominated possession so much to the extent that they had 71% possession and Italy only had 29% possession. And to be honest, what, while watching this match, it reminded me a little bit of, uh, I don't know whether you guys remember the Barcelona versus Inter Milan in 2010, where Jose Mourinho parked the bus. And uh, although Inter Milan lost that uh, second leg 1-0 to Barcelona, they progressed to the final. And this reminded me of that, this performance, uh, Spain versus Italy. Mimicking Barcelona versus Inter Milan, where Spain completely dominated every aspect of the game, uh, midfield especially. Uh, the trio of Pedri, Busquets, and Coque uh, completely overpowered uh, Italy's midfield of Jorginho, Verratti, and Varela. Uh, I think they ran rings around them, passed rings around them, but all that was up to the penalty box. Italy had like seven, eight players in and around the penalty box, and ultimately, Spain couldn't. Um, couldn't, uh, couldn't apply the finishing touch. Uh, yeah, they definitely lacked the striker. Morata came on and he scored the goal. Uh, ultimately, that wasn't enough. Of course, they lost the penalty shootout. But I wouldn't put the penalty shootout down to them also having gone uh, to the penalties in the previous round. It, uh, I think recently, uh, Gerard Piquet posted and he said that uh, it's unfair that one team should have such a big advantage of going first in the penalty shootout after a draw, after extra time. Because most of the time, 90% or 95% of the time, the team that goes first in the penalty shootout wins. And in this uh, game, Italy went first. Uh, and yeah, they won. But throughout the match, uh, to be honest, I have to slightly disagree with Uday. I felt that Spain was the more deserving team. Uh, Italy wrote their luck a little bit. They relied on Cellini and Bonucci defensive partnership. It was pretty solid, uh, no doubt to them. But if Spain had a clinical striker, I think Spain would have won this one in normal time, not even extra time. And yeah, because Spain looked like the, didn't look like the team who had to play uh, extra time before this. Italy looked more tired. Their midfield looked more tired. Spain looked so energetic. Uh, their players running rings around Italy. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's about it from me. Yeah, um, thank you, Arjun. Yeah, you talk about Spain running rings around Italy and they actually, you know, in all the stats, if you look at the match stats, they actually, uh, you, if you didn't see the score but look at the match stats itself, you would, you would predict or you would guess that Spain is the one who won the game. Um, Cedric, what do you think is the main thing that won Italy the game in this, in this match? Um, 
Well, it's, it's what Arjun mentioned just now, is that pain won't clinical, you know. Um, we, you can't underestimate how important it is to put the, the ball at the back of the net. Uh, there are so many games this, uh, this, uh, this tournament where the bad team lost. Like, uh, we can go back even to the group stages where Denmark lost to Belgium, although Denmark was the better team. Uh, France drew with Switzerland. Okay, no, sorry. Switzerland was a better team in that. But um, yeah, there, there are several examples of the bad team actually uh, losing. So at the end of the day, you just need the right striker to, uh, to or the right attackers to score the goal. And Italy had that. Italy, they didn't control the game. They, uh, they, they let Spain uh, hold the ball. But when Italy had the ball, they scored. And that's what's important. You know, it, it, uh, and I think if England is smart, they will watch this match and they will, they will learn a lot from what the Spanish are doing. And I think there are signs that England are going to do that too. Um, after they scored against Denmark, so I think we'll get into that in the England section, but I can talk about it now, which is that when, when after England scored against uh, Denmark, they were actually passing the ball around like Spain. So, you know, they are already kind of practicing on how to play Italy already and to give them as little chance to, um, uh, give them, uh, and to give them, you know, fewer chances to, to touch the ball um, so that, uh, the, because the less Italy touches the ball, I, I mean, it's a no-brainer, which is the less you touch the ball, the less likely you are to score. And so as you limit the opportunities for Italy, I think that, would, that, can, uh, that can stop, uh, uh, that can help you beat Italy. Uh, and Spain has showed that. It's just that Spain doesn't have a Harry Kane. So now England has to use that to their advantage. Yeah. Um, can I say something, by the way? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. What was Kiliani on like throughout the game? He was just so happy. Like, what type of drugs is he on? <laughs> I want to have that drugs when I'm taking a penalty. <laughs> so yeah. the, uh, the pundit on the Astro, I, I, I don't know the guy's name, but he says that that's, that's just Chiellini. That's, that's he, yeah. who he is the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but you it goes back to the whole point that I brought up that Roberto Mancini wants to have a fun team. I think I brought it up mm-hmm. last time. So it's great that the whole team is showing the, whatever the manager's philosophy is. And very rarely you get a team that does that. So that's great. So I want yep. to... And speaking of fun team. Yeah. Yep. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to say that... Um, I don't know whether Chilini would have behaved like that if Ramos was the captain for Spain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a, yeah, in a way, it was kind of mind games because he knows that Alba is not really like the, the strong mental, uh, like not the st- strongest in terms of mentality. So he thought like, you know, he could bully uh, uh, Alba like that, whereas you can't do that to a Ramos. <laughs> Um, and speaking of fun, right, I, I read this article that, you know, Mancini is like one of the few managers that don't really look after the players' diets. So like yeah. the Italian players, they're allowed to drink fizzy drinks, allowed to drink Coke, <laughs> allowed, to, allowed to eat pizza. So that, that's a little insane. But yeah, that, I mean, if you're eating pizza with friends, I guess that's why you're in a good mood all the time. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. I actually read about it and apparently the Italian doctors recommend them to eat pizza and fizzy drinks after the matches, yeah. to replenish the carbohydrates and the sugars they lost. So it's yeah. not it's not that uh, Marginia allows them to do actually, it's just that they recommend them to do it and yeah. <laughs> so of course, it's, it's a very fun game. I think pizza, pizza is their rice. La. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Italian. <laughs> I have to say though, uh, maybe the doctors were sponsored. Watch, 
Did you how much Jorginho's penalty, the winning penalty, the last oh, penalty? Oh boy! Oh, wait, wait, there were two things. So that I calm. Two penalties. <laughs> yeah. One was the um, Thiago's penalty, and one was Jorginho's. They were so cute. Like, oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> did Did that remind anyone of Polo's penalty? Just how cool it was. Like Polo's yes, penalty against yes. The thing is, when I see penalties like that, right, it's good that you score. But I can just imagine if you don't score and you do yes. something like that, <laughs> what the backlash will be. That, that, that's basically Pogba when he started a step when he doesn't score. Yeah, but then he does. So that's so that's why he gets away with it because he does score. Yeah. I'm just waiting for the day where Jorginho doesn't score and he does that. <laughs> no, he did miss a few like, nowadays. But I know that he takes penalty like with the hop and mm. skip and then kick. Yeah. But... The thing is, at the, yeah. in a European Cup semi-final, with so much pressure, the winning penalty, he still can do it. It's, it's very cool and calm. It's like he saw that Unai Simon is diving yeah. to his right, and then he just picked the ball to his, to his mm. left. Uday, if Italy wins the uh, Euro 2020, and now that he has also the Champions League, do you think he has in it, in a sh- in it for a shout for the Ballon d'Or? Yeah, um, they should definitely share the Ballon d'Or between Emerson and Jorginho. Emerson played really well, so I don't think anyone discussed about it. He was able to uh, replace Spinazzola, which was one of the players of the tournament, and very quietly and very well done. So they should split both of them. They should split the Ballon d'Or to Emerson and uh, Jorginho. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm. Not, I'm not the biggest fan of Jorginho. I. I. I, res- I respect him. I. I know he's done well. Uh. He also plays to the fact that I'm like Jorginho is not really my kind of player. Like. Uh. I. I don't really like the Italian way of playing. But I do respect. Mm. I, I mean, they've reached the final. So what do I know, right? But based on mm. like my own uh, biases and whatnot, uh, Jorginho is not really my kind of player. Uh. But he is good. Mm. So I'll. I'll. I'll go with that. But. No, not for Ballon d'Or. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think it's very important to have squad that we see like Italy, you know, Emerson come in and replace you know, Spinazzola just and then without any any major mistake, even though he, he's not match fit or he's not playing as much matches. Another player or another country that has such squad that is Denmark. Casper uh, Dobert came in to replace uh, Paulson after he's injured. And he has retained that starting starting striker role ever since. And speaking of Dobert, let us now move on to the next match, which is England against Denmark. Um, Cedric, uh, I saw that you say that the better team lost in this game. What are your thoughts? Um, I I not in this match particularly. The the better team lost in the Spain versus uh, Italy game. Uh, but in this game, I thought England deservedly won. Uh, they created more of the chances, especially in that second half onwards. My first half, it was quite even, and uh, I guess Denmark deserved the lead. But uh, England fought back, and uh, not just fought back, like were really chasing to win the game, not just to equalize and hold on to, uh, to, uh, to extra time and whatnot. They were actively trying to go out and win the game, which is very unlike England if you watch the first few games where they were like, oh, happy to score one and, and sit back. And, uh, and that's the thing, because England had never considered a goal before. So that's why it was very interesting to see what England does when they go or go down. And so it was nice to see that this was an England team that was uh, fighting. Uh, and they weren't just going, uh, okay, we concede one goal, let's just sit back and then we'll attack in the second half. They immediately went for it after that goal went in. 
And uh, they got their rewards. They got the equalizer uh, less than 10 minutes later. And then uh, eventually they did get their goal at the end. Um, so I, I think England were the best team of the round. Uh, and they were the better team than Denmark. So in a way, they deserve to go through. Um, the only thing I'll say is that over the course of the tournament, yes, Denmark was the better team. So that's the only part where I would say the bad team lost. But just based on this match, uh, England deserved to go through. Yeah, okay, good analysis. Yeah, speaking about the goal that uh, England conceded uh, first in the first half, what a free kick by Mikhail Damsgaard though. But uh, we saw that it was a free kick conceded after a free kick, you know, the cross come in and they were grappling and then the referee awarded another free kick because of that grapple, grappling. Arjun, do you think that uh, it was a fair free kick? Yeah, having watched the match, uh, it did seem like a fair free kick to me. Um, I, I forgot which England player was it that was holding back the Danish player, but uh, it did seem enough to. It did seem enough to. But, uh, yeah, have a free but kick. we rarely see this kind of free kick being given, you know, directly after another free kick. You get me? Yeah, yeah. Usually the uh, yeah. the defensive team gets the advantage, uh, gets the benefit yeah. of the doubt, so to speak. But yeah. I think. This uh, grappling, having been outside the penalty box, swung the advantage to the attacking team's favour. Because I have a feeling if it was inside the penalty box, penalty may not have been given. Uh, you re- don't really see penalties being given for grappling as much. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I think on, on the face of it, I think it, it was definitely a free kick for me. And yeah, what a free kick by Dempster. Uh, there was a video circulating later on showing uh, the Danish wall in front of the England English wall. Actually, at the last moment, moving in front of the English wall, and um, English fans are saying because of that it should be ruled out. But yeah, I mean mm. these things happen. And speaking about controversial moments, uh, England's penalty. What's more controversial than that in this match? First off, yeah, there was a second ball in play, and referee should have uh, stopped the play. I don't know how the referee didn't spot it, the linesman didn't spot it. Uh, yeah, it was quite interesting because when you watch back the replay or the highlights, you can see it's quite obvious that the second ball is in play. And someone should have spotted it and stopped. Or at least VAR should have spotted it and said, uh, no, we can't give a penalty because there was a second ball in play, interfering with play, right? I think that's one of the clearer rules. So the penalty incident should not even have occurred because of the second ball. But let's say we forget about the second ball. Even then, I don't think it's a penalty. It was way too soft. Uh, If you don't defend like that, uh, someone's going to call you a bad defender. So I don't think mm. I don't think the Danish defender could have done anything uh, different. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't think it was a penalty at all. Um, I think it was quite harsh on Denmark that uh, England were awarded the penalty. But other than that, mm. on the face of it, very well-deserved win for England. Uh, they were dominating, like what Cedric mentioned. First half, it was, uh, Denmark were attacking more. But right after, from the moment England equalised, I think they were the better team throughout. They dominated the ball. Uh, as soon as Denmark got the ball, they won the ball back. I mentioned that Carl Walker was a weak link of England uh, up to now. Mm-hmm. But I think in this match, he redeemed himself. He used his pace on multiple occasions to chase Damsgaard, um, to chase Dolberg also, I think, once or twice, uh, to retrieve the ball. So I think he's proved himself in this match. And yeah, but right now... Uh, this England team looks really strong. Harry Kane is on form as well. Sterling creating chances. Um, yeah, so I think that, that's about it. Yeah, speaking about the penalty incident, Arjun, I think there was a trip by Harry Kane in the first uh, in the in the normal time match 
that look more like a penalty than the Sterling one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that is quite interesting because uh, the stand, standard of refereeing has been very good throughout this tournament. But mm-hmm. yeah, yes. there has been one or two isolated incidents like this that is missed. And VAR is supposed to fix that, but I don't know how VAR didn't fix that in this match as well. Yeah, true, true, true. Uday, what a match by England, though. This match, um, I mean, a hurricane coming into form at the right time, and then Gareth Southgate sticking with Sterling all throughout this tournament, even though his platform was bad. And, and he's been rotating Saka and Mount, you know, keeping them fresh for the final. And then you still have Grealish and Foden on the bench. Yeah. Um, is it coming home, Uday? I, as a France fan, I don't want it to. But what's stopping you guys from doing it, actually? I have a few concerns that I want to discuss. I don't know about Kane being really good. I honestly thought he was anonymous throughout the game, except the penalty. Yeah, he did. He played a normal striker's role in which he's supposed to pass the ball around and everything. He didn't play exceptional. So I know that I might get some stick from all of you or from the listeners, but I thought Kane was all right. And even his penalty looked like he kind of lost his confidence again. Like they didn't believe it, but the rebound showed that they had the confidence. So I don't know. It just looked very weird. And then with regards to, I want to talk about both penalty incidents, by the way. One thing is, Great Britain should definitely hire Sterling as a diver for the Olympics. That's what they should do. Because that was a clear blatant dive by Sterling. And for the second one, where you thought Harry Kane was supposedly fouled in the penalty box, I thought that the defender was blocking the ball and isn't blocking part of football where you're supposed to stand in front of the player and prevent the player from getting the ball. And Harry Kane kicked the defender's leg and fell down. Of course, the defender's foot stepped on Harry Kane's, like, back heel stepped on Harry Kane's foot. But he was trying to stabilise himself. So, that those were my concerns with regards to the game. But on the positives, England played really well. Uh, what you thought about Saka was actually really good. He did really well throughout the game as well. Uh, yeah, all right, lah, maybe all right. He assisted the first goal, which was quite good. We kind of think that he's a very mature player, but he's still really young. So it'll be good to see how he develops. And I thought for Denmark, Michael was phenomenal. He had, he made brilliant saves throughout the game, and basically that was that was what what I have to discuss about it. Um, Arjun finally brought up about a Carl Walker point. I honestly kind of disagree with what he said that throughout the tournament, I felt that only the game in which Jaden Sancho played, that's why he was really bad. But that's all I have to say. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you spoke about disagreeing. I don't know. I think I have disagreed with you. I feel Kane really start to grow into the game much more uh, as the tournament goes on. Because in this match, at least, I kind of feel that Raheem Sterling is playing his Son Heung-min role, whereby you can see Kane was at the flanks at the wing, delivering crosses, in fact. And, so, uh, and, so, and Sterling is the one rushing into the ball, trying to meet, meet, uh, meet the... Uh, to, to, to get to the ball. Yeah, and, and, and the fact that he can drop deep and play is what he's good at at Spurs this season. Um, yeah, um, moving ahead to the final, um, Arjun, England against Italy. Italy has always been a favourite ever since we, we started this podcast. You know, we say that they are... They are how say? They are under the radar. They are not discussed much, but that actually um, did them well. You know, they progressed all the way to the final, and they has been 
they, 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 we, we, already, we always regard them as our favourites for this tournament. And England, although we say they are a bit overhyped at the start of the tournament, but they have reached the final. How do you see this one go? Yeah, so um, it, to be honest, up to the quarterfinals, uh, if, if you told me at that point that Italy versus England, I would have said Italy for sure, uh, without a doubt, because Italy have been the best team of the tournament, uh, blazed through yes. their group, winning all three matches yes. convincingly, yes. Um, yes. beat beat the likes of Austria and then Belgium in the quarterfinal, Belgium, yeah, and then Spain in the semi-final. But yeah. in the semi-final, uh, I feel uh, Spain exposed Italy quite a bit. Um, that, that kind of surprised me because, that, uh, again, like as I mentioned before, that was a Spain team which played a lot more minutes than Italy. They were supposed to be more tired. They were supposed to be yes. passing around. This Italy team was supposed to be workhorses, pressing high, uh, or even if not pressing high, at least having more energy than Spain, um, not letting themselves be dominated and pushed back so much. So that really surprised me. And I feel that game, uh, like what Cedric mentioned, if England was watching it, England now knows how to exploit Italy. And that has swung the final into England's favour for me. Um, mm-hmm. England, meanwhile, at the start of the tournament, if you told me they were going to reach the final, I would have said, definitely not. They were, uh, despite topping the group, they were quite unconvincing for me in the group stages. Uh, as I think, as we mentioned earlier, they only scored two goals in the group stages. Their attack was very unconvincing. Their defence was good, but attack was very unconvincing. But in, in throughout the knockout stages, I think their attack has come leaps and bounds. Uh, as you mentioned as well, Kane has thrown into his role. Sterling has improved mm. a lot. Um, mm. I think they have sort of found their rhythm. They are finding each other. Saka has come in very nicely, uh, linking up with the attack. Um, Mount is also linking up with the attack very nicely. I think Rice and Felix have been very solid in midfield. Uh, they're complementing each other quite well. Uh, so, so much so that I don't think Anderson has started any games so far. Uh, it's no. been Rice and Felix oh, yeah. all the way. Uh, yeah. So this England team now, to me, on the balance of it, looks more likely to win the final than Italy. Uh, just because I feel uh, Spain has exposed a lot of Italy's weaknesses, which can be mm. uh, exploited by England. So I see this going in England's favour. Although I don't see them winning big, um, I see them winning like by a small margin, by like 2-1. to Because I do expect Italy to score the odd goal as well. Wow. Okay. Um... Yeah, speaking of, yeah, I also feel that England is starting to grow into the role and, you know, um, having the advantage. And also the fact that I realised that in, uh, Italy has played two uh, extra time matches, one against Austria and the second one against Spain. means there's, there's a total of about an hour of football, more than England has played. And so, you know, the, the pendulum is slightly going to swing towards England's favour. Um, Cedric, what are your predictions for this match? I'm going to go with my brain and say 2-1 Italy, but I think uh, what Arjun said is actually could happen because the momentum is with England. And I just did some, uh, some quick checks for the past few tournaments. And except for Netherlands in 2010, um, every, every tournament where, uh, if you compare all the semi-final matches of all the major tournaments throughout the, uh, since uh, 2004, if the team won bigger in the semi-finals or like uh, a more convincingly, like score more goals and what, or whatnot, um, that team goes on to win uh, the tournament. So the only time it didn't happen was the uh, Netherlands in 2010. They won 3-2, where Spain only won 
but Spain won the World Cup. But every other time, uh, uh, if you win by a bigger margin, you actually go on to win the, the cup. And uh, unless it's draw, uh, unless both win by the same margin. So it's, uh, in this tournament, England actually won 2-1, whereas uh, Italy won through a penalty shootout. So if we were to follow that, that, um, that trend, then yeah, uh, probably England could win. But just I'm looking at the, the way the Italians played like throughout the whole tournament. It, they should beat England, you know, that's a much better team than this English team. Like, that's why I, I wanted it to be an Italy-Denmark final because that would have been a real, like, uh, first place versus second place, uh, as in the whole tournament. Those were the two best teams of the tournament. I don't think England are in the two best teams of the tournament. Uh, so, um, personally, I would, uh, uh, not personally, but, like, logically, I would say Italy will win, but I don't, I, I wouldn't bet against England uh, winning this match. Uh, I think it's possible. So I will go Italy 2-1, but just in case they lose, I just want to be on the record here and say possible that England will win 1-0 as well. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Uday, do you think that, you know, the unpredictability of Gareth Southgate's squad, like, we don't know who's going to start, Saka, Foden, Mount, Grealish, you know, will, will be in their favour in the final? And how do you see this one go? That's a very good question you brought up. I think... It, we, it may definitely help out with regards to them changing the tactics to uh, mirror Italy's tactics. And But I feel like this match is going to go into the Italians' favour and it's going to be 2-0. And I don't need to say off the record or on the record. I'm just going to say like straight up, Italy's going to win. <laughs> England's not going to win it. That's all. <laughs> so, yeah. Is that it? Italy's going to win. I think um, we've analyzed a lot. I think just due to the fact that Italians look like a really fun team, they look very happy. They, the leadership of Bonucci and Chileni, the midfield power of uh, Jorginho, Baratti, and also their attack is just going to be too powerful for England. I think that Italy is going to run riot towards uh, England's midfield if they use the same midfield. But if they change, England might be a bit more threatening, but Italy is still going to win. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, may, may I interject? Just before you go into the Copa, I just wanted to ask a few questions. Yeah, go ahead. To everyone. Oh, yes. Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. just to... I, I, wanted, I actually initially wanted to ask who's your favourite player uh, so far. But to make it more interesting, I'll split it into positions. Uh, not a whole team, but just going position by position. So, starting from you, Stephen, who's your best goalkeeper of the tournament so far? <laughs> um, even though it, you know, it pays me to say it, but I think Jordan Pickford is the best goalkeeper of this tournament. <laughs> I mean, like the, the stats does back him up, like you know, um, you know, for how many clean sheets, four, five clean sheets in a row to start the tournament, and only I only considered one goal, you know, since the start of this tournament. So it's, it's and then it's, it was a brilliant free kick that he considered. So even though his positioning for that free kick is a bit, you know. Uh, questionable, but still, uh, I feel he is the best goalkeeper so far for me. Alright, uh, Cedric, how about you? Best goalkeeper for you so far? I need to read the name because I always pronounce his name wrongly, but I'm going to go with Donnarumma. <laughs> for, for Donnarumma, me. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's true that it's true that Italy haven't been facing the toughest opponents except for Belgium, but see, when they face the tough opponent, they actually kept a clean sheet. 
and if you look at the goals they considered against uh against uh, Spain and Austria, the Austrian was just a freak goal. Like uh, there's no way to stop that. And then the Spain goal was more of uh, the fault of the defense rather than Donnarumma himself. And Donnarumma showed his uh showed his class in the uh the penalty shootout. Like yeah, um, uh Danny Omo scored that uh horrendous and not not scored like missed and and shot the ball horrendously. But then he saved the the goal from uh, Morata, saved the shot from Morata. So uh, I, I think he's a very underrated goalkeeper and whoever gets him uh, this summer is going to have a good goalkeeper on their hands. Most likely PSG, right? <laughs> yes. And we just got the news that uh, PSG just got uh, Ramos. So can you imagine Ramos. with, with Donnarumma, Ramos? Wow. That's a, <laughs> that's an interesting that's a strong defense. So how about you, Uday? Are you going to make a third choice of best goalkeeper so far? Unai Simon and Yen Sommer was really good. I, oh, that, yes. that, that's my choice. I so, think so if you have to pick one? Uh, if I had to pick one, yeah. I think Yen Sommer, Sommer, I think he Jan has given yes. throughout the tournament that he is, uh, I think even during the Spain game, the Spanish goalkeeper said that he deserved the man of the match, even though they, uh, Spain won the match. So I think Yen Sommer is what I'll choose. Right. Okay. So, more interesting. Moving on to the next position, best defender of the tournament. It could be a fullback, could be a centre-back, doesn't matter. Just best uh, for, uh, best defender of the tournament, Stephen? Simon Kier. His leadership throughout the tournament and when Christian Eriksen fainted uh, was exceptional. And also when, you know, uh, the, the closing stages, when Czech was bombarding their goal with high balls, getting Suchek in, getting Sheik in, he was there to hit away every ball. So yeah, he is the best defender for me so far. Oh, interesting. Cedric, I know you've been a big fan of Simon Kier as well. Uh, I think in the early stages, you talked him up quite a lot as well. Is he also your best defender of the tournament so far? Uh, I, I like Simon Kier, but uh, to me, he, I, don't, I wouldn't put him as the best Denmark defender either. Like to me, the best Denmark defender was actually uh, Christensen, uh, and, and, which is a kind of a contradiction because sometimes Christensen played in centre midfield, like in that game against Wales, he moved into centre midfield. Uh, to, to stop the uh, the Wales Armada from attacking. Uh, but yeah, honestly, like that would, that would uh, I mean, based on the position, then uh, Christensen would be the uh, best centre-back, in quotes. Um, but my favourite uh, defender of the whole time is actually going to be Bonucci for, for Italy. Uh, the amount of clean sheets they kept besides England um, is, is great. And also when Cellini was gone, it showed that Bonucci is a good defender on his own. Like, no matter who was beside him, that he could be a good defender as well. So, uh, I, I'm going to go with Bonucci. And uh, just on a side note, uh, Shaw has been making uh, a really... Uh, sorry, Shaw has been doing really well at left back, but he's not really defending. Like, he's, he's known more for his attacking play and assists. So, uh, shout out to him. But in terms of, like, actual defending, I'm going to go with Bonucci. Okay, that's great. Uh, interesting choices. Today. How about you? Uh, do you have a third different choice for defender as well? Defender yeah, of the tournament? I my defenders attacking, so definitely Spinazzola or Dumfries. So if I had to choose one, Spinazzola. Spinazzola. Okay, that's uh, brilliant. Okay, so that was uh, pretty interesting choices of defenders of the tournament. Um, mm. Now, on to midfield. Stephen, who will be your midfielder of the tournament? Midfielder of the tournament? Um... Um, I, I'm, I'm torn between Kelvin Phillips and Declan Rice. I hope somebody tell me who's better. Uh, I'm going to go with Kelvin Phillips uh, based on the fact that he 
you know, actually, I didn't, I didn't expect him to start the tournament. Actually, I expect Rice and probably somebody more senior like Henderson or, um, yeah, Henderson. <laughs> so the fact that he can, he started the tournament and also held his position throughout and restrict Henderson to you know ten minutes of play, twenty minutes of play, and and not only that, he really justifies position. You know, he's winning the ball back. Even his long ball passes was quite good. Uh, like this match against against um, Denmark as well. So yeah, Kevin Phillips. Interesting choice. Uh, Cedric, do you have a different choice in mind for your midfielder of the tournament? Um, before I say it, am I allowed to choose a winger as a midfielder or as a winger more of a forward? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask. I'll, I'll, I'll probably say a winger because it's considered a forward. Okay. Yeah. All right. So in terms of midfielder, then I'm gonna go with uh Hoybjerg. Uh, this is a biased choice, of course. But I think uh, after that first match where he missed the penalty, where it was clearly Ericsson who is the uh, penalty taker for Denmark. After that, he's been uh, he's been amazing for Denmark. Uh, basically shielding the the back uh, the back line. So they already have three at the back, but with Hoybjerg, that is, makes it even harder to break down this Denmark team. And uh, he played to the style of this uh, Danish team where they have to uh, press teams uh, uh, press teams high up, and he's able to uh, 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 play along with that uh, with that tactic. And not just that, like we know Hoybjerg as this uh, destroyer and this uh, ball winner, but um, Hoybjerg is uh, also provided a couple of assists uh, during this tournament uh, after that game, after that uh, that first game against Finland. So I think that he there may be, there may be more dimensions to his game that uh, we have yet to see, and I hope to see more of that when uh, when he goes back to Tottenham later this year. Uh, yeah, so he'll be my choice for favorite midfielder. Interesting. Uh, Uday, how about you? Who's your midfielder of the tournament? Pedri and Kelvin Phillips as a tie. Pedri because he's 18 years old and he's just so good. I can't believe like anyone. He had like 97% pass completion against the Italians. How can anyone... When I was 18, I, I wouldn't even play against the Italians. So yeah. And of course, Kelvin Phillips is what uh, Steven said. I think he's definitely a better choice for Beto. Uh, so, so once again, I have to ask you if you had to pick one. Oh boy. Can <laughs> <laughs> they have a tie? Oh uh, boy. If I had to choose one, I will definitely choose a Kevin Phillips. All right. Oh, for the first time, we have an agreement. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> moving on to forward of the tournament. So forward, including strikers or wingers. Um, Stephen, who would be your choice? Um, forward of the tournament for me is Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, five goals in three games. Or four, four games is count the Belgium one. Uh, but he's got a five goal within the three stages game. So... Um, you know he is old. He's thirty plus, thirty over years old, and we expect him to 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 to, to you know his form to be dwindled down. But you know his his influence in this Portugal team is still is still quite strong. You know, and they still rely on him uh, to score the goals to get the goals as well. And um, yeah, so he is my forward of the tournament for me so far. But um, surprise forward of the tournament for me would be Karim Benzema. He came in. You know, he was. Uh, sent to exile, you know, he haven't been playing for France for quite a while now. He came back in, four goals in four games. Yeah, so, you know, he, he, he surprised me in this tournament. Oh, two very good choices, two world-class forward. Cedric, do you agree with that or do you have a different choice for your forward of the tournament? I agree that both have been good, but uh, 
because both Din, uh, like uh, especially Ronaldo and uh, and uh, Benzema, they they played well for their team, but because they didn't reach uh, to the latter stages, we didn't get to see more of them. So uh, so I'm gonna choose two players that are that did reach further in the tournament. I'm not I'm not gonna cheat. I I'll choose who's the best one. But I want to give us first a special shout out to uh, Damsgaard who came in to replace Ericsson and it felt like Ericsson wasn't gone uh, because Damsgaard was uh, putting in the goals, was helping in attack, helping to press the opponent. So he will be one of my favorites, uh, but he's not the best. The best forward, I think, is Schick. So uh, with Czech Republic, we, we saw the, the that goal he scored against uh, Scotland. Um, but besides that, you know, people are going to remember him for that goal, but throughout the whole tournament, he's been... Uh, holding the ball up well for the Czechs and uh, playing kind of a dual role. Like sometimes he's, he's an out and out attacker and then at other times he's like a false nine. And so it shows his versatility. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see if this guy is going to play in a big team soon because I don't know where he is now, but this is the first time I've ever heard of him. I, I, had, ne- I had no idea who he was uh, before this tournament. So maybe this tournament will raise his profile and maybe a big team will come and get him and uh, I'm excited to see what he does next. Oh, very good and bold choice. Today, uh, I can't help but remember that you did have high, uh, you did have a lot of praise for Sheikh in the early part of the tournament as well. So, would he make your cut as the forward of the tournament, or do you have another choice in mind? Yeah, definitely Sheikh. Um, since I have Cedric on board, would you want Sheikh to replace Harry Kane? That's my question, by the way. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> of course, any I'll take I'll take any quality striker. So uh, I'm I'm happy to have Sheik uh, join Spurs. But to be honest, after this tournament, uh, if there's a bigger club than Spurs who come in for Sheik, I don't think he will choose us. Uh, yeah, Sheik is my answer. And shout out to Sterling and uh, most probably the Italian forwards. So that's Sheik is my answer, of course. But they have they deserve a shout out throughout the tournament. They played even well. So, yeah. Interesting, some very good choices, very diverse choices. Now, Stephen, I think we can move on to the Copa America. Yeah, so uh, I just want to talk a bit about the final because um, um, we didn't touch on it uh, throughout this podcast. And I don't know whether all of you all know uh, Copa is actually being held concurrently uh, alongside um, Euro 2020 in Brazil um, uh, this two, two, three weeks. Yeah, so now we have reached the final. Um, uh, which will be held over this weekend, is Brazil against Argentina, the, the two strongest nation there is in South America. So, I mean, like, I'm looking forward to this match, you know. Uh, it has been building up to this match like, since the since, since Brazil and Argentina finished first of, first in their group and thus um, separating them away from the, from the into two different uh, groups of, you know, uh, upper tier and bottom tier and then, and then uh, meet, meet up in the final. So I think I think um, Copa gets lesser of an intention, uh, given the fact that number one, you know, there are lesser teams. There's only ten, um, ten teams split into two groups, and then the top four actually uh, progress into the quarterfinals. Yeah, and also I feel that the South American uh, football are a bit slower, but they are a bit more tactical in the sense that you know, um, one goal wins it, you know, and then the defensive side of the game is more much more important than the attacking side of the game. So. So usually you will see um, um, uh, a lesser amount of goals, especially in a knockout round where where after 90 minutes um, you go straight into penalty shootout, and and that's what the, the the weaker teams do. You know they 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 hold up for 90 minutes and then uh, hope they can they can beat the stronger teams in a penalty shootout. 
Yeah, so now we have reached the final. I mean, like, um, I would like to talk about Brazil first. Brazil has been very strong, very consistent um, throughout throughout the tournament. Um, they they grabbed they they grabbed the headline through Gabriel Jesus, who did a karate kick in one of the one of the Chile player in the quarterfinal. Yeah, so they won that one nil. Fortunately, um, yeah, but throughout the tournament, they they considered only two goals uh, in the in the group stage, and throughout the knockout stage from quarter semis. Um, you know, Edison has been very stable, very solid. Uh, didn't concede any goals. You know, Brazil won one new in the quarterfinal, and then they won. Uh, they beat Peru one new in the semifinal, and now they are in the final. Um, yeah. So, so their their forward line is also quite 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 solid. I mean, like um, players players like Neymar. Neymar is still contributing to Brazil, and also um, um, Everton, Richarlison, Lucas Paqueta. Um, you know, I, being a Liverpool fan, you know, uh, it, it hurts to, to not see uh, Roberto Firmino playing in that team. And also Fabinho, you know, we, I talk about Fabinho a lot as a CDM. They're so important to Liverpool and he's not getting, he's not getting game time for Brazil. Um, Arjun and Ude, uh, Fred is playing all, all, all the time, you know, FYI. <laughs> <laughs> they have a quite, a, quite a strong, you know, axis, you know, from Edison, Thiago Silva, Casemiro in CDM. And then Neymar in the forward, so so it is quite a strong, solid team. And moving on to 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 um, Argentina, so um, Messi scored four goals. Lauturo Martinez of Inter Milan scored three goals. So yeah, they are leading the the, the Golden Boot right now. And also, I'd like to particularly talk about you know one player in particular is you know their goalkeeper who shined in a penalty shootout in the last last match against Colombia, uh, Emiliano Martinez. You know the ex. Arsenal goalkeeper who was rejected after he won the FA Cup with them. And then he was, you know, sold by Arsenal to Aston Villa. And, you know, why I want to talk about him is that, you know, um, um, it is such a happy story where, you know, he's being second fielder to Leno and then, you know, he, he's being regarded as not good enough to play for Arsenal. And then he went out of the team to prove himself, went out, uh, uh, Change clubs to to try to prove himself, and he even said, "I, I remember we, we talked to this uh, to Arjun about this that he him moving to Aston Villa is actually a an upgrade or an improvement to his career, and yeah, uh, well said, uh, and also well predicted by him. You know, he he was first choice in Aston Villa, and then, you know, I, I was thinking he wouldn't have get the chance to play for Argentina or play with Messi, and or even be included in the Argentina squad. You know." Uh, if he has stayed in uh, Arsenal playing second fiddle behind Bert Leno. So I think, yeah, props to him, you know, he has been he has been very brave, went out and his three save of penalty against Colombia, they are quality save, man. It's not like it's not like Colombia, you know, uh, missed it or Colombia hit a soft penalty. Those are very hard and you know, hit with power and precision and yet he still managed to save. Um Ude, I think you also want to talk about this this Argentina team as well. Oh yeah, uh, very well analyzed by you. I think uh, what you said, the fact that Lionel Messi is the top scorer as well as top assister and very well managed by Brazil to go through very consistent knockout 1-0 uh, wins as well, where comfortable 1-0 wins where they did. There was no fuss, they just made it to, uh, throughout the knockout and then now they are playing against a very fun Argentina side as well. Although the last game they drew 1-1 and then they won on penalties. I think I wanted to discuss about the celebrations that happened during the penalty shootout where after Emi Martinez saved the penalty, he started 
uh, humping or thrusting his body. And after that, the Colombian player scored and he mocked the goalkeeper right after that. And after when the final Colombia penalty shot that was saved by Emi Martinez and Messi started like shouting at the Colombian players saying, hum samo, hum samo. <laughs> that was really funny for me to see throughout the highlights. But I think... Yeah, I think the news was that he was shouting at Jeremina, who was yes. his ex-Barcelona teammate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really funny. Um, I think uh, you analyzed it very well. It might just be a very tight final in which Argentina might just come out because of Messi's brilliance. But don't uh, rule out Neymar from scoring a goal there. So it might be a Neymar, Neymar and a Messi show that's going to happen in the final. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see that 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 matchup though. I forgot. I forgot to put in my prediction. Yeah, I feel that you know, if if Argentina can penetrate Brazil's defense, which hasn't considered a goal since the uh, knockout stage, I feel Argentina will will win this. But I, I mean, like, I'm being emotional like, because given the fact that uh, Messi has not won a major tournament with his um, with his country, you know, he failed in World Cup final, he failed in Copa final, and. And the fact that he had to retire due to being this <laughs> too disappointed and came came back out of retirement, I don't know if you all remember that, you know. And and I just hope to see him winning a international tournament with Argentina just one time. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anything else to add? My panel. Yeah. Good luck to Messi. Anything else to add, Arjun and Cedric, before we end? So I, I haven't been watching the uh, Copa America, but uh, based from what I've read, uh, this tournament sounds like it's been run very badly because uh, it was like supposed to be hosted in uh, Colombia and uh, Argentina, and then uh, yes, Colombia yes. has a yeah. political um, COVID COVID uh, cases. I think it's not just COVID cases. Like uh, right now, the the people in Colombia are protesting against their president Duque. Uh, he's been he's been a horrible uh, uh, president. Uh, leader for their country, just like just like here actually, but <laughs> over there people are really taking it into their hands. So that's why the the people protesting, um, they couldn't afford to uh, host the tournament because of safety mm. concerns, and then Argentina was because of a uh, COVID, uh, solely because of COVID, whereas Colombia was political turmoil and COVID, and so they had to host it in Brazil, and that's why now Brazil has a has an advantage. So it could be a fairy tale for Messi, like to win in uh, uh, your, your enemy's home soil. Yeah. Uh, but Brazil is holding all the cards here. Yeah. Arjun, anything to add? No, I think it was pretty well covered by uh, all three of you. Listeners, if you have any comments or feedback for our podcast, please do leave us a DM on our Instagram. My Instagram handle is that Stephen underscore rock underscore on. Arjun's Instagram handle is that Reuven Arjun. Um, Cedric, thank you so much for your support and attending this podcast with us. No worries. <laughs> Uday, thank you so much as well. Yeah, no worries. Hoping for a cracker of a final. Um, it'll be quite late for us Southeast Asian or Malaysian listeners, but hopefully it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully we'll be back again next time for the Euro 2020 final review and to wrap up the whole tournament as well. Um, so, we'll see you again next time, everyone. Stay safe. Bye-bye.